Good morning, Pacific Hope Church. You may be seated. This morning, our text has us on a bit of a layover to a new destination. We've completed 17 Sundays looking together at the Epistle of James. We've learned a great deal about evaluating the authenticity of our faith in Jesus Christ. This morning, our our text is from the book of Acts, chapter 20. What we'll be looking at is a a different genre of scripture. This is not an epistle. This is a historical narrative. This is the account faithfully given by Luke of Paul's travels. And this layover prepares us as a congregation for a season of study and being built up by the book of Ephesians. This text finds us with Paul and his entourage traveling And their destination is Jerusalem. On Paul's way to Jerusalem, he stops to greet brothers with whom he has served for over three years, leaders of the Ephesian church. These are our elders, men of God, that God had placed there at Ephesus. And we'll look at this text together this morning to understand a blueprint for gospel ministry. A blueprint for Christ's church, instructions given through Paul from Christ to the church at Ephesus. As we look at this text, it's important to to understand that there's intentionality in what we're looking at. We need to understand this precious text because it gives us a pattern for gospel life, for gospel ministry, and even for gospel goodbyes. As I've uh, looked at this text, I've been overwhelmed with all that it has to tell us. And quite frankly, we could spend a, a good deal of Sundays looking at what we'll do together today. So hold on, we're on for, in for a ride. I thought a book could be written on this very passage that we're going to examine. And it turns out a book has been written on it. <laughs> at Shepherd's Conference, we were blessed with a box full of uh, free books. And this book was written by an author that has an impactful ministry on churches of our generation around the world. His name is Alexander Strzok. His life ministry is focused on biblical deacons, biblical elders, biblical churches, and biblical followers of Christ. He wrote a book specifically on the text that we're about to delve into together. And I want to, as a means of introduction, read this to you. Strzok says, The elders needed, as we do today, a compelling an unforgettable challenge to be faithful to their spirit-anointed task of shepherding God's flock and guarding the gospel from false teachers. History amply demonstrates that the truths of Paul's message cannot be overstated or repeated too often. The appalling, centuries-long failure to stop false teachers from invading churches can be traced directly back to the ignorance or disobedience to Paul's prophetic warnings to the Ephesian elders. Any church elder who does not know the content of Paul's message to the Ephesian elders is ill-equipped to lead and protect God's people. It's for this reason that we'll repeat again a text that we might know well. For those who are elders and have faithfully served this church, may this message serve to invigorate them. For those who are new to the ranks of eldership, may this serve to sharpen us. For those of you who are raising 
young men who may someday be an elder of a church, may this be useful to build you up as you parent them. And for all of us who may prepare for a gospel goodbye to go to another church, may we understand the merits of what God has taught us of an elder-led church. Regardless of what the application might be, my charge is to preach it and to allow the word of God to minister that to our, to our hearts. Let's pray, and then we'll delve into reading this beautiful passage. Father God, we thank you for the eternality of your scripture. We thank you, Lord God, that it is all useful for teaching, rebuking, and training, and correcting in righteousness. That it is all established to help us understand our temporal existence and your eternal coming kingdom. Father God, we ask for your wisdom to understand and rightly apply this text. Lord, we desire to, to spend more time in it, but we pray that our time would be fruitful this morning as we consider what you have for Pacific Hope Church. In Jesus' precious name, amen. In your Bibles, Acts chapter 20 will begin at verse 17, and I'll read through the, the end of this text. For context yet again, Paul had previously spent a year and a half with the Ephesians, he's been gone, sorry, he spent three years with the, the leaders in Ephesus. He's been gone for something like a year and a half, and he's making a, a layover stop on his way to Jerusalem and calls for them. Beginning at verse 17 of Acts chapter 20. Now from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, you yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plot of the Jews, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance towards God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me that in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus, to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now, behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves will rise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease, night or day, to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the work of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel, you yourselves know that these hands minister to my necessities and to those who are with me. In all things, I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, 
how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all, and they embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken, that he would, they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. This ends the reading of God's word. One of the challenges of historical narrative and preaching it is that there's a lot there. There's a lot there. We could spend a great deal of time going through this, but instead, in order to help us capture the essence of what the Holy Spirit might have for us, I'm going to give you five different distinctive, five characteristics of a biblical elder, of what an elder does. Again, if you think to yourself, I'm not an elder, nor will I ever be one for the ladies, right? The pattern of biblical eldership is one that it is a standard of imperfect men seeking after and imitating their Savior, just as Paul did, that is the standard for every believer. The things that we see are absolutely applicable to every blood follower of Jesus Christ. So five words. Each of these words, as it happens, begin with the letter G. So to remember that, there are five G's to make sure your church is covered. That was humor. Very good. So the first thing that I want to observe about what we see as a distinctive of a biblical elder is that he is genuine. He's genuine. If we begin at this text looking at uh, verse 18, Paul says to the elders, he's called them. Right, And I just want to point out real quick there that, that Paul calls the elders to himself. They traveled probably 60 miles from Ephesus to Miletus, to a port city, to catch Paul on this layover as he's on his way to Jerusalem. And it's noteworthy that he calls for the elders to come. And if you were to skip ahead, you would see in Acts chapter 21 that when Paul gets to Jerusalem, he has his own little shepherd's conference and he runs into James there. And he talks to James and curiously, we find, and we learn in the book of James, that James says, call the elders to whomever's sick. Call the elders of the church. So there's some, some patterns here that we're seeing, and we see that Paul was instrumental, used by God, to impart a scriptural pattern to James. But here's what Paul says to the elders when he calls them to himself. He says, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plot of the Jews. You see, the genuine nature of a biblical elder, of a shepherd, is someone who cares. Men cry, men are supposed to cry. Men are supposed to cry because of their deep love for those who are put under their charge. Paul actually says that same thing again later on in the, in the same portion. He says that for three years I was with you. This is in verse 31 of Acts chapter 20. Therefore be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. The elder who loves the church cries with them in their darkest hour. And they also cry with them when they don't see the fruit of repentance. Paul says he admonishes them with tears. Also in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 4, Paul says the, the same thing. He says, For I wrote to you out of much affliction and anguish of heart and with many tears, 
not to cause you pain, but to let you know of the abundant love that I have for you. The elder is genuine. He pours out tears and he works day and night. It's also out of love. And we know that the example that we have of Christ's love is that of perfect love. The men that God has placed over the church are, are imperfect in their ability to love. They might accidentally kick a sheep from time to time. But the call is love. The call is to be genuine. The other thing that I would point out to help us understand the genuineness of what a biblical elder is called to do is in verse 20 of Acts chapter 20. Paul says, He was serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house. That remarkable word profitable was also in the text that Brother Ty preached for us this morning. Profitable. What you get when you interact with a, a man of God ought to be profitable. Not small talk, not meaningless conversation. When you run into someone and you, you see them going from house to house, the conversations are that of substance. The conversations are that of scripture. That's the call. Scripture Useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. The second G that we'll get to as we look at distinctives of what a biblical elder is called to be is that of being grace-minded. We see this all throughout Paul's ministry. And in this particular text that we read through this morning, we can see this quite clearly in verses 22 through 24, which I'll read again for you. And now... Behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me that in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to me, if only that I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus, to testify to the gospel of the grace of God." You see, Paul's decision to, to move about from here to there is with the recognition that his life has been graciously given to him by God. We see this throughout Paul's way of, of speaking. He acknowledges that he was the chief of sinners, that on the Damascus road he encountered the Lord Jesus Christ. And he was tor turned towards God and in repentance through faith in Christ. His life was given to him. Not only did Paul recognize that his life was given to him, but he also recognized that his ministry was given to him. Look again at verse 24. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to me, if only that I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus. He says to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Everything that Paul did was with the understanding and living out of the reality of the grace that was extended to him through Jesus Christ. What did Paul deserve? The same thing that every one of us deserves. Separation from Jesus Christ. But instead, Christ in his grace saved. He brought Paul near, and not only was Paul saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, but he was also placed in the ministry. Seeing men of God at the Shepherds Conference and understanding the ministries that have been built up and ministries that have been stewarded by faithful men, any one of those men that if you were to ask them, they ought to respond, I didn't build this ministry, it was given to me. 
And that there is part of the essence of a gospel goodbye. Anything that we build, it's only given to us out of grace to steward for a season. It's also important that an elder of, of the church of Jesus Christ live from a position of grace. There are texts that we'll see throughout Paul's letters that talk about not lording over the flock, not living from a place where, where we think that we've accomplished anything by our own strength, but recognizing and extending the grace of God to each and every member of the church. That's what we're all called to do. Grace-minded. The third characteristic that we see in this text is that an elder, that a follower of Jesus Christ is called the gospel preaching. That same verse, verse 24, Paul says, I received this ministry from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. In verse 25, he says, And now behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you all this day that I, am not, that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit have made you overseers to care for the church of God. Paul's messages were simple. He said, I decided, I determined to preach nothing but Christ and him crucified. There's, there's nothing new. You go to a shepherd's conference, and there's nothing new in the last 2,000 years. It's the sufficiency of Jesus Christ, crucified on our behalf, placed in a tomb, risen from the dead, and ascended to the right hand of God the Father for the purposes of saving sinners. The gospel clearly laid out. For me, one of the remarkable statements that's being made here is in verse 27, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. That's what a, a biblical elder does, the whole counsel of God. Going to a preaching conference, you hear bold, authoritative, and strong preaching. But, you know, as I look at what that means, the whole counsel of God, that doesn't mean pounding the pulpit and having the soundboard at 11 and yelling with authority. It means preaching the whole counsel of God. My, my ESV study Bible has a comment that describes for us what the whole counsel of God is. I'm going to read this for you. It might be on a slide. I don't have very many slides today because of the length of this text, but there should be a slide in there that gives us the ESV study Bible's explanation of what is the whole counsel of God. The footnote says, The whole counsel of God refers to the entirety of God's redemptive plan unfolded in Scripture, even though some parts of God's word were unpopular or difficult. Paul did not omit any of them in his preaching. In refusing to pass over teachings that might have offended some, Paul gave a courageous example that is a model for all who would teach God's word after him. The whole council preached with boldness, preached with authority, but it also occurs to me that when we talk about all of Scripture, that means the courage to preach those texts that we quite frankly don't understand why they're in there. I may have shared this before, but my first opportunity to do expository preaching I chickened out. 
I went for a year with a pastor friend to uh, Thursday night services and he, as he preached through the book of Genesis. And we get to Genesis chapter 19 and he says, I can't make it next week. Would you mind preaching? And I turn in my Bible to Genesis 19 and I find the story of Lot being inebriated by his two daughters and as they sleep with him. I'm like, really? I, I, I want to apologize that this is in there. What, what am I supposed to do with this? But preaching the whole counsel of God means surrendering the Holy Spirit and saying, Lord God, this is your word. It is all in here. And Christ is in this text. Help me find it. Help me declare it. It's all useful for teaching, rebuking, and correcting, training in righteousness. It's God's word. We preach all of it. As that footnote says, too, we preach the parts that might be unpopular. The church today is indeed at odds with the culture in which we live. That's no different than in Paul's day. That's no different than for the Ephesian church or the Corinthian church or the Philippian church. It hasn't changed. And for that reason, churches must not veer away from teaching the whole counsel of God. Gospel preachers are needed in the, in the church today. The fourth G we find, so far, I'll recap them for you. Genuine, grace-minded, gospel preaching, and guarding. If we look at verse 26 yet again, it says, Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of you all. See, we're kind of mixing metaphors a little bit in what Paul's doing here. We have clearly him saying in just a couple of verses that he, we're supposed to shepherd the flock, right? So we've got shepherds, but we also have very clearly in this text a watchman. This is verbiage and phraseology from the prophet Ezekiel in the Old Testament. And the, the message is that a faithful overseer, a faithful watchman, would keep watch around the city walls. They'd watch even in the, the darkest times of night and watch for an enemy advance. And their responsibility was when the enemy advanced to sound the trumpet and to warn. And scripture is perfectly clear on what happens when those duties are neglected. Ezekiel 33, 6 says, But if the watchman sees the sword coming and does not blow the trumpet so that people are not warned, and the sword comes and takes any one of them, that person is taken away in iniquity. But his blood I will require at the watchman's hand. That's a stern and sobering reminder for all of us who are followers of Christ. What we have been given is a warning of coming judgment. What we have been given is an urgent call to invite others to repentance and come to salvation in Jesus Christ. Failing to do so, blood is on our hands. That's why Paul says of his three years in ministry, I told everybody. I got kicked out of synagogues. People invited me over for dinner at their houses and I offended their kids by talking to them about the gospel. I went from house to house. But he says, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all. Paul says, I did my job well. I warned you. He also says, with regards to, to being a guardian of the flock, he says he watches not only for what's happening outside the walls, 
but he's also watching for what happens inside the walls. Look at verse 29. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in from among you, not sparing the flock. And from your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease, day or night, to admonish everyone with tears. Watch out for the sheep with the sharp teeth. Watch out for the wolves. Watch out for those who might come into our midst with a different idea of how to understand Scripture. Who might want to see us focus on more on an agenda than on a text. Be careful. We're called to watch out for those. But one of the observations that I have here that's incredibly important to understand is that guarding outside the walls and guarding inside the walls begins with guarding inside your heart. Look at verse 28. ESV says, pay careful attention to yourselves. For those of you who have an NASB Bible, it says, guard yourselves. Guard yourself first. And he says this, guard yourself before you guard the flock. Taught this in Bible class a number of years ago. And the analogy that I used was that of the, the oxygen mask on the flight, right? Whose mask are you supposed to put on first? Put on your own. Kind of seems strange, right? But the application there for us is incredibly important. Women of hope, as you prepare messages and your weeks are busy, do your own devotions first before you prepare your message. Preachers, apply this to myself, right? Balance your scriptural diet. Spend your time in God's word before you worry about teaching. Parents, before you do your family devotions, make sure you've had your quiet time with the Lord Jesus first. Put on your own oxygen mask first. Because without that, you're dead and you can't help the rest of the sheep. That's important. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all of the flock. This is important as well. The words there, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. See, the message there is to care for all of the flock. That's each and every sheep. No sheep left behind, right? We have Christ's words that leave the 99 to pursue the one. As imperfect people, we fall sin to, to partiality. We have blind spots. But the desire of a loving elder is to look after all the sheep. James, of course, writes about that with the, the notion of partiality. But the call is to be mindful that each and every person that is part of the church has been purchased with the price of Christ's blood. The next G that we have as we move through to genuine, grace-minded, gospel preaching, and guarding is that of giving. That is of generosity, gospel generosity, recognizing that nothing that we have is actually our own anyway. It's really important for us to understand that Paul and this entourage with which he's traveling have just come from rounding up some money to deliver it to the church of Jerusalem and to meet their desperate financial needs. The church in Jerusalem was facing persecution. They were facing poverty. They were facing need. And Paul's concern 
was to get together with his brothers and take an offering. He wasn't concerned about his own travel plans, wasn't concerned about his own reality of being confronted with imprisonment when he got to Jerusalem. He's more or less a wanted man, right? He's going back to the heart of Judaism in the day as one who had been a Pharisee, who had been one of them. And even the Holy Spirit made it clear, you're walking right into a hornet's nest. What awaited him there? He said he was constrained by the Holy Spirit. Back in verse 23, the Holy Spirit testifies to me that in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But he did it because he was thinking about his brothers first. Paul says in verse 33, he says, I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. Interesting list, right? After we've been through James and we've seen how there's the, there's the garments, we tied that back to the Sermon on the Mount, right? Those get eaten by moths and destroyed. We have our silver and our gold that we treasure and it gets corroded and thieves break in and steal. And Paul says, I didn't want your treasures. I didn't covet your, your apparel or your gold or your silver. And he says, you yourselves know that these hands minister to my necessities and to those who are with me. He lived out gospel generosity because he preached to them free of charge. That was part of his, his moniker. What he said when he was with the Ephesians is that he preached out of abundant love for them. He's taking and he's giving this generous gift to the church in Jerusalem. And he's living that out. Why? Because he was a recipient of God's generosity. Was he not? He was cared for by others. People would take him into their home. And more than that, he had been a recipient of God's saving grace. Paul says in verse 35 of Acts 20, it says, in Paul's speech to these elders, he says, In all things I have shown to you that by working hard and in this, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus. How he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. I'm preaching from a different Bible than I usually do today, but this Bible has the, the words there in red. It says, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Now, we know that even in the, in the secular world, this axiom is, is borrowed. We know that because it's in red, Jesus said it. And in my searching for understanding where Jesus used these exact words, one text that I came across, remarkable, is from Matthew chapter, chapter 10, verses 7 through 10. This is Christ's instructions as he's sending out his disciples. The disciples led the advance of the gospel. And then Paul joined the ranks as, as an apostle, as a messenger, and lived out these same instructions. Look at what Jesus says to his disciples in Matthew chapter 10. As you proclaim, as you go, proclaim this message, the kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. Do not get any gold or silver or copper to take with you in your belts. No bag for the journey, or extra shirt, or sandals, or a staff. For the worker is worth his keep. 
You see the message that Christ gives so clearly and what he says there is freely you have received, freely give. And this ties us into another pass I want to make through this text with you today. And this is one that helps us understand what gospel goodbyes are all about. Gospel goodbyes have been employed in the church of Jesus Christ since Christ left the earth. We heard an incredible sermon on Christ's ascension and how it was needful that he would go to have his seat at the right hand of God the Father to intercede for us as the church carries on his work. One generation to another to another. Paul uses terminology even in this very text that we looked at today of of that of a race. Verse 24 of Acts 20, but I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself. If only I may finish my course and the ministry received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. You see, gospel ministry is a marathon. It's passing the baton of gospel truth from one generation to the next. It's recognizing that all of this is not ours, but his. I'm going to give you five more things. They're not G's this time. These are five things that help us understand the right way to approach a gospel goodbye. And that is understanding that it's not ours anyway. The people that we say goodbye to, not ours anyway. The churches we say goodbye to, not ours anyway. The first thing that a a saint that an elder, that a follower of Jesus Christ will understand is that their righteousness is not their own. Look again at at verse 21. Paul talks about the content of what he is testifying as he lives out his ministry. He says, testifying to both Jews and Greeks of repentance towards God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. See, Paul understood this. He was turned around. He was going with a letter to arrest Christians. And the Lord Jesus stopped him dead in his tracks, turned him around, sent him to a street called Straight, changed his name. He changed his name from Saul to Paul, which means little one. He became the the least of the apostles. And he understood that his righteousness was not his own. Paul also understood what we've become very familiar with in our study of James together, and that is his life is not his own. Verse 24 again, but I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to to me, precious to myself, if only that I may finish my course in the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus. Paul recognizes that his life is given to him, that his life is a vapor, that his life is brief, but that his Savior, his salvation, and his gospel are eternal. For me, one of the most unique experiences that I had this weekend at Shepherd's Conference was meeting a a group of three men from Idaho. They were pastors. They were encouraging. They were joyful and sincere in their love for everybody they came into contact with. I ran into them eating at a restaurant near where we were staying at the hotel. The second day, I ran into one of those three guys, and they said, yeah, today was a little tough. Bruce had a hard day. What do you mean Bruce had a hard day? Bruce, one of the guys with him, his body filled with cancer. More than 17 tumors in his body. 
And they said, yeah, it's Bruce's first and last shepherd's conference. So I want to pray for Bruce if I get a chance. And I did get that chance. But not only that, some guys with some celebrity reformed podcast that I don't know anything about said, we're going to interview this brother. You want to come sit in the hotel lobby and watch the interview? And I got to sit and I got to watch this man say, by God's grace, I got a little heads up that I'm going home. And they asked him, what do you want to talk about? What do you want to tell us about? You want to tell us about cancer? You want to tell us? He's like, no, I want to tell you that my sins were exchanged for Christ's righteousness. I want to tell you that Christ gave himself for me and every day I get to live, whether it's six weeks or six months, is because of the grace of God. Incredible. And he also said something remarkable. He said, you know what? We were born terminal. We've been dying since the day we started this brief journey. If that's the case, we ought to live with, view, with eternity in view. This is not our life. Thirdly, with regards to understanding this gospel goodbye, so it's, it's not our righteousness in the first place. It's not our life in the first place. And again, in that same verse, our key verse, if you will, Two key verses I want to make sure we, we have in view today. Verse 24. If only I may finish my course and the ministry that I have received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. This is finishing his course, passing the baton to the next. In the case of the Ephesian elders, there's a bit of inference here, but the Ephesian elders could have included a guy named Apollos. It probably included Aquila, not his wife Priscilla, but Aquila. And it most certainly included Timothy. These are groups of men. Scripture doesn't name them in this passage, but over the course of time, those men were used by God to lead the Ephesian church. And God used them mightily and greatly. But what Paul understood is it wasn't St. Paul's church at Ephesus. It was Christ's church at Ephesus. It was Christ's ministry that he had received and was a steward of. No intent for criticism, but I heard a lot of people at the conference saying, I go to Pastor so-and-so's church. I go to Pastor so-and-so's church. Please, we go to the church of Jesus Christ. It's his. We find that with clarity in verse 28. Paul says, Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. Each and every follower of Jesus Christ, we have been purchased through that great exchange. Christ gave himself for us, purchased us with his own blood, and we've been made his. We've been made a priesthood. And his church, as we'll come to understand in our study of the book of Ephesians, it's Christ's church. It's Christ's bride. He purchased it. Whatever congregation God may have us be a part of at a certain season of our lives, it's Christ's church. It's him we follow, and it's him we seek to faithfully serve. And finally, as we look at gospel goodbyes, it's important for us to know that these people that we're with, these kids that we raise, these leaders that we have, they're not ours. 
They've been entrusted to us for a season. Look with me, if you would, please. Verse 32. Look what Paul says as he refers to this group of brothers. He says, And now I commend you to God. What does that mean? I, I put you in God's hands. You're out of my hands. I can't tell, teach you anything that I haven't already taught you. I can't love you any more than I already have. I can't have another day with you. I put you in God's hands. He says, and now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace. What's he send them off with? He sent them off with God's word. Treasured in their hearts, considered in their minds, and lived out in their lives. We know our faithful under-shepherd here left us with God's word, commending us to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what he's done. The, the message here is that I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build up and give you the inheritance among all those who are being sanctified. You see Paul's confidence in the word of God right there? It's able to build you up. It's not, oh man, what are these guys going to do without me? Oh man, I hope they pull through. They, they don't have me here anymore. What's going to happen to them? No, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance. You see that? Now we're given an inheritance. It's not our righteousness. It's not our life. It's not our ministry. It's not our church. They're not our loved ones. And guess what? The inheritance, it is ours, but not because of anything we did. Who picks what they inherit? You don't. The Father gives it to you. The Father gives it to you through the Son Jesus Christ, in our case, our inheritance as believers. The goodbyes might have to happen, but the inheritance is irrevocable. To give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. That's the commendation. As we do a, a gospel goodbye today, I agree with Brother Ty. I'd like to see that moratorium take place. But guess what? Church business is about preparing for gospel goodbyes. It's about preparing for your own eternity with Christ Jesus. It's about preparing people to go and be missionaries in other countries. It's about raising your kids and sending them to do gospel ministry someplace else. This whole work is full of tears. It's more full of goodbyes than any of us really want. But it's part of God's faithful plan for shepherding his flock and for preaching the gospel faithfully until he comes again and goodbyes will be over. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your blueprint for your church against which the gates of hell will not prevail. We thank you for the eternality of the family of Christ. We know that, that those who have been bought by your blood, we will share eternity with. We will sing your praises with for eternity. Lord God, we ask that you would allow us to be faithful, to be genuine, to be mindful of your grace, to be dedicated to, to warning others of their need for salvation as we go through this life.
We ask for your Holy Spirit's power to continue to, to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ, to be assured of the inheritance that we have as we're being sanctified. In the name of your Son, Jesus, we pray. Amen.